Is that good? Good morning. I like that. We find ourselves fastly approaching the end of the churches. We have two more left. And as we've noticed throughout the weeks, many of the churches, five out of seven to be exact, have received an admonition from the Lord. They've received a rebuke. They've received hardship because of their tolerance of sin in the church. But this week we're going to look at the church in Philadelphia. And we're going to look at this church, and the Lord Jesus does not give them any admonition, but he gives them encouragement. He gives them hope. He gives them instruction. But for our encouragement, we still see that in the midst of all the apostasy going on, that there's still a remnant that is faithful to the Lord. There is still the true true church of Christ that is doing what Christ called them to do. And this morning we should take hope and take courage in that because it's not impossible when Christ is on your side. Because Jesus promised that the gates of hell should not prevail against his church, and he makes it so. The church in Philadelphia was, as the title imparts, had little power. But we're going to see that in little power, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that in my weakness, God is made strong and his power is shown through our weakness. So we must learn to remember that in all things, in our flesh, we are weak, but the spirit of Christ in us is strong. And in that, we can stand firm and continue to walk a faithful walk, to walk in holiness and righteousness, to walk wholeheartedly after the Lord with a passion and a purity for the things of God. So this morning, if you're not there, turn with me to chapter 3 in the book of Revelation. And we're going to start in verse 7 and go through verse 13. Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut. Because you have little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. And I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and make them to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the midst of a day of celebrating fathers, that we can look to you and cry out, Abba, Father, knowing that you have adopted us as your children, legitimate children, children of promise, children of hope. And even though we are of little power, you give us strength 
through the blood of Jesus Christ we have been made new. Lord, help us to continue to put off the old flesh and to continue to put on the new man in Christ. Help us to continue to see that our striving is not with flesh and blood. It is not with the political powers of this world, but Lord, it is a spiritual warfare. Lord, it is a warfare that has gone on since the beginning of this earth. Father, that as Adam and Eve fell to the wildness of the, of the serpent, Lord, help us to stand strong and stand firm. Help us to spot the lie among truth. Help us to stand righteously for truth in all things. Lord, as the church here, as we are going to see in Philadelphia, is faithful, faithful in their love of Christ, in their perseverance in walking in this world amidst persecution and trials. Lord, help us to do likewise. Help us to see ourselves in Christ as new creations. And Lord, help us to encourage one another to do the same. We just ask your blessing on this time that you would give us ears to hear what you are speaking to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Philadelphia is also a city in our country, and we all, I'm sure, understand the meaning of the word Philadelphia. It means love of the brethren. Philadelphia is taking that to a whole different context. Again, we tend to pervert the things of God. But the church here in Philadelphia had a desperate and a true understanding of what that meant. The church in Philadelphia, though in the midst of much paganism, in the midst of much persecution from Judaizers, in the midst of much persecution on many fronts from both Jews and Greeks, stood firm in their love for the brethren. And they showed that love through their testimony of Jesus Christ, through the testimony of preaching the gospel, through the testimony of reaching out to all men with the truth of the gospel. The church of Philadelphia continued to love Christ amidst their persecution. Make no mistake, this church was persecuted. But the church was relying upon the power of God in them and not in their own strength. They learned what Paul said, as I said earlier in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that in my weakness the power of God is made perfect. And we must rely upon Christ because in our own flesh we will fail. Why? Because we are sinful. Because we have a lot of flesh to ourselves. We are fleshy people. We're not as spiritual as we should be. And yet every day Christ continues to renew in us that new creation. He continues to remind us that we are his legitimate children. We're going to look at that a little bit more in depth next week when we talk about the Laodicean church, how it correlates a lot with Hebrews 12. But we're going to see this week that in the love of others is where the power of Christ comes from. Because Christ came on behalf of his Father to love the world to save wretched sinners such as us. But we're going to see another truth. And he starts with this in the opening in verse 7. He starts off with a description of himself. He's introduced to the church as he who is holy. The holiness of God is the manifestation of all that is God. God is holy. And holiness for man is uncomfortable because it exposes every falsehood. It exposes every false intention of the heart, every false or wicked thought. It continues to expose in our hearts the sin that we harbor, the things that we hold on to, the things that we place as an idol before our eyes. It continues to challenge us to be pure, to be righteous, to be like our God. 
because he gives us a command over and over. Be holy because I am holy. We are to be no less holy because we live in the flesh. We are to strive for holiness in all that we do. We are to strive for holiness in our speech, in our thoughts, in our actions, and also in our reactions and responses. There is not a lack of adversity in our country right now. There's a lot of false theology. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a new cult coming up that's been around for quite a few years, but it's really gaining traction. Critical race theory, you've probably heard of it. It's actually a good conversation starter at work right now because people are confused. And unfortunately, a lot of the church, the evangelical, evangelical church at large, is falling into the persuasion of it. We've seen the Southern Baptists bow to critical race theory. We have seen Nine Marks Ministry also do the same thing and apologize. The church needs to stand firm on truth. There are a few out there that continue to belabor the point that truth does not change because now we are getting into racial Gnosticism. That unless you are of a darker skin tone, you do not understand truth in the way that they do. Vody Bakum wrote a new book. It's actually very, very mind-stimulating. It'll make you think. Jonathan MacArthur continues to preach out against critical race theory and so, uh, critical social justice. These are the things that our world and Satan is using to divide the church. Because the church is no longer standing upon the principles of love and the gospel and that the original sin is man's fallenness, but critical race theory teaches that it is your whiteness that is the original sin, and it's unforgivable. This is what our world is seeing. So what is our church going to do? Are we going to stand firm on the truth of the gospel and continue to reach out in love? Love for not only our brothers and sisters, but love for the lost. Because that's what Christ did. Are we going to get angry? And are we going to get militant? Are we going to go off on the deep end and start yelling and screaming? Or are we going to capitulate and we're going to start apologizing for who we are and who we've been made in the image of God? Are we going to apologize for a white Christianity? Oftentimes they forget they're of Middle Eastern descent. The Son of God was not white. He was brown. And actually none of us are really white. If I was the color of this paper, I would probably be dead. But what does that have to do with today? Holiness. He also says, he who is holy but who is true. And that's where we're at. We're in the middle of a war on truth because Christ is no longer accepted in our country. Christ is looked down upon as a false god, as maybe a good man and maybe a prophet, but nothing more. And the church, by and large, is falling to bowing to that idea to the false doctrine, to the heresy and apostasy, that truth is no longer concrete. That those who say that the Bible gives answers for all things in life are full of themselves. They're prideful. They're still oppressed because they don't understand truth. That truth is relative. That truth is based upon experience. It's getting back to experiential faith. That faith is based on not truth and not knowledge, but on a knowledge through your experiences gained in life. There are no firm answers anymore. But we all know that the truth of God's Word is perfect. The inerrancy of God's Word is perfect. Why? Because as James told us, God does not change. He is immutable. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, we have hope. 
If God was fickle and God changed based on the relationship he has with man, most of us or all of us would not be here. But because of the hope in Jesus Christ and the truth of the word of God, we have hope because we know God does not lie, nor is he able to. And then he says, who has the key of David? Now, for those of you that are not big Old Testament buffs, you may take this as like, what is he talking about? Turn with me to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 22 specifically. So this is where Isaiah was in the Valley of Vision, right before the fall of Tyre. In Isaiah chapter 22, God is giving Isaiah a vision of his holiness and his sovereignty and an understanding of who God is and who people are before him. And in verse 22, he says this of Christ. Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, nobody will shut. And when he shuts, nobody will open. God is speaking of the absolute sovereignty and authority of Christ. That he will, and I encourage you to go ahead and read the rest of chapter 22. It's actually a really good chapter in Isaiah. Well, as all chapters are, but it's a really interesting one, speaking of Christ. But in there, he's speaking of the absolute authority that Christ has, not just over all mankind, but also specifically in the church. Because as Christ references this of himself, he who holds the key of David, he has authority, he has sovereignty, the power to do that which he said he will do. He is giving the church hope in this statement because he who holds the key of David, who sits eternally upon the throne of David, is he who also saved mankind from their sin. He is the one who has established the church because he is the head of the church. He has all authority, all power, and all administrative authority to do with the church as he chooses. And he explains the idea that he who holds the key of David is he who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. So echoing the Isaiah 22:22, he continues to say, it is I who sets this door open and nobody can shut it. Or where he said in another verse, I make it crooked, who can straighten it? Or if I straighten it, who can crooked, make it crooked? God is once again declaring his power before the peoples of the earth. He is once again saying, in all absolute sovereignty and authority, I will do as I do and I do as I please, because I am holy and true and just and righteous, for he is the creator. And in this description, he jumps into the next four words, I know your deeds. And as we've seen week after week, oftentimes that's followed up with, you do well here, but here's where you lack. Here's where your tolerance is allowing you to sin. Here's where you're not dealing with sin. But to the church in Philadelphia, he does not do that. He gives them a commendation, and he says, Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. So what is he talking about here? So we know that he holds the key of David, which where he, when he opens the door, nobody can shut it. And he says right here, he's placing before this church a door that nobody can shut. He's preaching the gospel. The church was continuing on in the strength of Christ to preach the gospel amidst the persecution that was going on. And Christ says, because I am he who holds the key of David, I will keep this door open. The gospel will continue to go forth. And praise God, we know because we're reading the book now many, many years later, that that continues to go on. 
the gospel is continuing to be perpetuated throughout this world. It's continuing to move on and grow in grace and mercy. More and more people are hearing the truth of the gospel. More and more people are also rejecting that truth. But that is not up to us what man does with the choice of what he does with Christ. It is our duty and responsibility before the Lord for the love of our Lord and the love of the brethren to deliver the gospel to those who need it. Period. No excuses. Doesn't matter if it's comfortable or not. We are all called to spread the gospel. And Jesus makes that promise. I have opened this door and nobody will shut it. Because you have little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. How great to know that the power of Christ is sufficient for everything that we need in life. As Peter went on to say in Second Peter chapter 1, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Do we walk in that truth? Or do we continue to question the power of Christ in our lives? Do we continue to allow the sh- daily struggles that we wrestle with, the things we wrestle with in our flesh to conquer us or to knock us off the track for a time? Or do we stand in the power of Christ and stand upon the truth of God's word that he has opened this door and we need to walk through it? It will not shut until Christ comes again for his church. And then things will change. But because we have little power, we need to rest in the one that does, and that is Christ. We need to be relying upon his spirit and upon his strength, upon the truth of God's word. The church relies on the power of God by faithfully keeping his word and refusing to compromise and deny who Christ is. It's what he commended them for. For you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Where are we at? You guys hear me say that all the time. But it's a good question to ask. Where are we at? Where are we at today? Yesterday, you're not going to change it. Tomorrow, you're not going to live it until you get there. Where are we at today? Because you can only meet God in the moment. You can only commune with God in the moment because we are finite. We are locked within time. But you know what? God's already got tomorrow taken care of because he's already been there. That's a neat thing about our God, about him living outside of time. God has orchestrated all things. You know, one thing that I read in a sermon, I don't remember, it's been a while, a long while ago, was talking about the miraculous power of God, not in miracles, but in the providential sovereignty of God to orchestrate all man according to his plan in all ways, whether good or evil in the sense of the man being wicked or righteous. And God uses even the wicked for his purposes. And that is the most amazing thing about God, that in all throughout all of time, God has orchestrated every aspect of man's life to line up with what he deems he needs and wants and does. And all man continues to follow the plan of God. Revelation, if you read further on in the book of Revelation, tells you of things to come. And all things work out exactly according to God's plan. That's amazing. That is just awe-inspiring to sit and know that we can call Father the one who does that. So many don't know that hope. And yet we see here in the church of Philadelphia they continue to stand for the word and the name of Christ. Is that what our church is defined as? Standing for the word and the name of Jesus Christ? 
It's a good question to ask. Then he goes on and he says, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. We've seen that phrase multiple times in the seven, church, in the seven letters to the churches. The synagogue of Satan, those who are apostate, those who claim Christianity or claim to be Jews and are not. We don't have a lack of that in our culture. There are many who claim Christ and yet don't follow the ways of Christ. There are many who claim the name of church and are not the true church. You need to be on your guard. I need to be on my guard. We need to be aware of it. We need not bury our head in the sand and be afraid, but we need to be aware of what's out there so we can confront it with truth. If you don't know what's going on, how do you know how to help the need of the culture that we live in? How does the church know how to react if it's not being warned of what's out there? Right? How are you aware? How are you preparing for battle unless you know what it is? It's important to understand what's going on in the culture around us, especially nowadays when so many people have questions. So many people are seeking for truth because it seems that there is none. So many people are seeking for understanding because it seems that it doesn't matter what your understanding is because it's wrong. Christ has the answers, and it is him to whom we need to point these people. But he says, those who are Jews and are not, but lie. Why? Because they are not the true children of God. Why? Because they continue to confess their self as God. They continue to reject that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and was the Son of God and died for the sins of the world. They continue to say that I am a child of Abraham because I come through the bloodline of Abraham, not because I follow after the Lord and not because I follow after God, but because I have set myself in this place in my own false religion, and I'm comfortable there. They believe that because they were of the seed of Abraham, they had all the promises of God. And yet they do, but they must turn to Christ first. Without Christ, religion is worthless. Without Christ, you're following routine and tradition. Without Christ, you are following a lie instead of seeking truth. Without Christ, you are as lost in your sin as you were before you came to Christ. Jesus Christ is the key to all of it. He is the only way, the only truth, and He is eternal life. And Jesus says this of them, But I will make them come to you and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Now the church in Philadelphia is full of Gentiles. Philadelphia is in the country of Turkey. It's not in Israel. And yet Jesus says, I will make those who say they are Jews and are not come and bow down at your feet. Basically what he's saying is, I am going to have them recognize that just because you are not Jews does not exclude you from the promises and the love of God. Now, the church does not replace Israel. I'm not going there. But Israel refuses Christ is not part of the church. It is not part of the children of God because they have rejected Christ. But we have been blessed with being grafted in, as Paul says. But how about them who are of the natural tree? How easy for them to be grafted back in. Paul went on in his arguments in Romans 9, 10, and 11 to reiterate his heart for his people. Because Israel, above all people, should come to Christ. 
because they've been given the ordinances, they've been given the law, they've been given Christ through the bloodline and the lineage, the parental lineage of David. All the things came to Israel first, and they were to stand out as a nation. Why? Because they were chosen to stand out to proclaim the news of God, the truth of who God was. Do you pray for Israel? Do you pray for the peace of Jerusalem? I hope so. We're commanded to do so. And how great it would be to see the house of Israel come back to the Lord. To see the days restored where they are pleasing in the sight of God. Jesus goes on to say, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance. What is the perseverance of Christ? Well, we know from Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was tested in all ways in the desert. We know that he fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, and then he was tested by Satan. And we know that in all things Christ did not sin. We know that he was a man of sorrows. We know that he confronted hypocrisy wherever he met it, with truth, with love and compassion, but oftentimes with righteous anger. There's so many times if you read the book of Mark where it starts off with Jesus being frustrated or angry with somebody because they're just blind and hateful and resentful of who he says he was. Because they refused to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. Do we confront truth? Or, I'm sorry, do we confront a lie with truth? Or do we just say, eh, maybe somebody else will do it? Jesus never gave somebody else the responsibility to confront the lie. He took it head on. He was open. He was honest about it. He continued to show them the error of their way. Do we do the same? Do we continue to persevere despite the influences of the world around us? Do we continue to persevere in spreading the gospel and in loving the brethren and in bearing one another's burdens. The message to the church of Philadelphia is one that should cause us to pause and to look at our hearts and our lives and to see how are we serving Christ and our brothers and sisters. How are we reaching out with the gospel? Because that's exactly what Jesus said they have done well. Are we doing well? I will also keep you from the hour of testing, and that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. It's interesting the language that Christ uses here because the hour that was to come, you can read in chapters 6 through 19. That's all that's yet to come upon the world for the testing of the world, the tribulation. And Jesus says, I will keep you from that hour. He is promising to keep those of the church from the tribulation. And not only to keep them out of it, but the Greek word ek is, to not, is meaning out of it, not through it. And the hour of testing which is to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That idea of testing those who dwell on the earth is actually talking to those who make their home here in the world. Those who have made this their home instead of just their passing through. Is that not the language of Scripture? That we are just sojourners in a foreign land seeking our own home in heaven. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 17. King David understood this. Psalm 17. 
and verse 14. Psalm 17 and verse 14. From men with your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. David is speaking once again of his enemies and hiding from the wicked, from those who would seek his life. And he says it is these men, the wicked men, who make this world their home, whose portion is in this life. It's the same language that Jesus uses here in Revelation chapter 3. That, that he's going to test those who dwell on the earth, those who have made this their home. You've heard, it, heard me say it before, this is the only hell we will ever know, but it is the only heaven non-believers will ever understand. And that's sad, knowing the desperate plight of our world, the sickness. Oftentimes, how many times have you been asked, well, if God is loving, how can he allow so much suffering? I don't know how many times I've heard that question. Do you have an answer? That's my question. Do you have an answer for that? Do you have an answer that lines up with Scripture? Do you have an answer that helps them understand why? Do you have an answer of what is the hope that you have in the midst of suffering? And God is just. God is holy and righteous to allow suffering. God would be holy and just if he entirely wiped out every person on the face of the earth. Because his holiness does not abide sin, and man is sinful. But God chose a different way. God chose the way of the cross. God chose the way of loving the world in spite of its sin and its sickliness, in spite of the wretchedness of who we are. And that is the power of God unto salvation. And then he tells them, I am coming quickly. How many times have we heard in the world that eh, you believe a false religion and God isn't coming, the world continues on as it always has, and it always will. Life will continue to be perpetuating itself and it'll just keep going and going and going until man finally kills everybody and blows the whole world up. We've heard that. But Jesus says, I am coming quickly. He's giving that warning of don't get comfortable. How easy is it to get lax in our, our everyday life because we are comfortable and we forget that Christ is coming quickly. If you know something's going to happen quickly, how much more urgent is it for you? If you know you're getting ready to leave on a trip and you have to leave quickly, you pack quicker. You don't dilly-dally with the things that don't matter. You get on to things that need to be done in order to get out the door, right? Well, this is what Jesus is saying. I am coming quickly, therefore prepare. How many parables did Jesus say and speak to the people about his coming and that those who are going to be ready or those who aren't, who prepared their lamps, or who didn't, or who squandered wealth, and those who spent it wisely, those who didn't expect the Master to come, and then He did. He's telling the church to be aware because He's coming quickly. And in that admonition, He says this, Hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. Do you guys know you have a crown? Crown of life, right? Don't let anybody take it. Hold fast that which you have. Your testimony of Christ. Your testimony of your faith. Your testimony that you are a son of the King. That is what you hold fast to. The promise of Christ and salvation. And in His coming, that should give you hope. Again, He does not leave us without hope. But He continues to point towards He is coming again to take His bride to be with Him. And then he describes it for us next. 
And he says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word pillar. What, what, what does that conjure to mind for you when you hear of a pillar? Your strength, stability, right? Permanence, something holding up. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's telling us that we are going to be a permanent fixture in the temple of God. We will be able to enjoy him. We will be steadfast. We will be set in place. And he says this, and he will not go out from it anymore. What a great blessing to know that we will never have to leave the joy of the presence of God ever again. I don't know about you, that is more encouraging than anything I've ever thought about, is being able to live in the presence of God and not ever have to go away. That's a great blessing, especially for such a fallen creature, to be able to sit in the presence of God and enjoy Him forever. And then he says this, And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. God is inscribing upon us our permanency. He's giving us adoption, finalized, the name of our Father. The name of a city, our permanent residence, where we are going. And the name, new name of Christ. We are being justified. We are being set permanent fixtures in the house of God. And He is writing His name upon us. You don't have to worry about who you belong to. Right? Oftentimes we get something, what do we do? We write our name on it, right? Why? So that people know it belongs to us. So that people know if it gets lost, where it goes to. But we're not going to be lost because we're going to be a permanent fixture in the house of God. But we have that ownership and that permanent ownership written upon our hearts, written upon ourselves. God is testifying, you are mine. And Jesus in his high priestly prayer says that all that the Father has given me, I've lost not one. The permanency that we have in the house of God is beautiful. And then he says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you listening? Are we listening this morning? Are we hearing what God has for us? The blessings? The promise of trials? The promise of perseverance? The promise of hope? Salvation? The promise that we are to be about the Father's work. That we are not to be set in the transiency of this life. That we are not to get comfortable here. Why? Because we are passing through. What do the Psalms tell us? We're like a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. We're like a flower of the field that is here today and burned up in the fire tomorrow, right? It's just gone. But praise God that we know where we're going. Praise God He's given us the blessing of knowing where we're going. He hasn't left it shadowed. Now, obviously in our fallen state, and in our small brains, we can't understand the scope of that, but he's given us enough and a taste of what's to come to know what we have to look forward to. That should spur us on. That should encourage us to teach others about who Christ is and what he's done. To give the truth of the gospel. 
and to stand firm. Why? Because Christ stood firm on the cross for us. Should we do any less? Do we have ears to hear? Are we listening? And are we practicing what we hear? Are we taking it to heart and living it day by day? Are we being like the church in Philadelphia that we love the brethren and we're loving well? Are we becoming fickle? Are we becoming weak because we put, strength, we put trust in our flesh? Or are we leaning upon the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, to make us strong? Know that He is coming quickly and be about the business of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the privilege and the honor of week after week coming into your presence, gathered together as your people, as your church, to worship you. Lord, may our worship be pleasing in your sight. Lord, may we deal with the sin in our hearts. May we deal with it honestly and with a full understanding that it's been forgiven. Father, may we be quick to confess. May we be quick to forgive. May we be quick to judge sin in our midst. And may we be quick to love the brothers and sisters well. Father, we just ask your blessing upon your word. For it is your word and your spirit that changes the heart and life of a man. It is not we ourselves, but it is you. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And yet how often we hold that power close and we don't share it. How often we forget to speak truth in love. How often we forget to show Christ to the world. Lord, forgive us of our failings there. Forgive us of the times that we are silent when we should speak out. Lord, help us to be bold in Christ. Help us to be bold in living righteously before the world. That they can see Christ in us. That they know that it is not our own strength we rely in, but we rely upon the Spirit of God. Help the world to know what we, what we hold dear as our hope. That because Jesus Christ was crucified, because he spilled his precious blood on the cross of Calvary, and because he was perfect, because he was the Son of God, he rose again in power, justifying the many and giving new life to those who trust in him. Lord, your word says to those who confess and believe, those are saved. Father, may we continue to help others to see that truth that others may come to know Jesus. Lord, we know it is not a work of ourselves, but it is a work of your Spirit and your Word. But Lord, may we be used as instruments of righteousness for the purpose of glory to you. Father, we just ask that you will bless this time and continue to bless our worship as we go into communion. We thank you for that opportunity to once again remember what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, may we go forth boldly proclaiming that truth to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.